Hey everyone, this is Tony. Thanks for listening. Just want to let you know this is a part one of a two-part episode with a couple of friends of ours we recorded that we thought was pretty special to bring to everyone. So stay tuned for part two in the next release of the new Venivores podcast. Also wanted to say thanks to Craig Minowa and Cloud Cult for letting us use the song Running With The Wolves as the intro and outro to our program. Thanks again, everyone. Venivores, a podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt, or haven't hunted, or haven't hunted much, want to learn, or want to learn. It's time for us to go. Feel that tingling in the back of my neck. You have to be there. You have to be there. You, you don't know it at the time, yeah. you know, but it sticks with you all your life. And you you don't experience those things unless you are a hunter. Welcome back to the new Venivores, podcast about hunting for people who don't hunt or uh, want to know more about hunting or get more involved in hunting, uh, and it's about fishing too. I'm Tony Martinson. On Skype again, we have... We got Adam Miller, We're sitting in uh, my basement in Bismarck. Not in Tioga this time? Not in Tioga this time. I'm I get to be home. But uh, first time in a while, well, our first time ever, we have guests this week. Um, go ahead and introduce yourselves if you want. Michelle Augustine, a uh, hunting novice and obsessive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm Caitlin Burke, and I'm the friend that Tony went hunting with. Yeah. So I've talked about it a little bit uh, that I'm what I call in my head an adult onset hunter, but it feels like I'm talking about Alzheimer's a little bit too much to say it like that. But. Uh, so we all kind of were in the same boat with that. We used to all work together, um, and we got to talking. And I'll let you guys tell your side of the story. But I've talked about it on the podcast too that like I, we got to talking all together. Caitlin was nice enough to invite us out. We all started this uh, couple of year tradition now of mm-hmm. uh, going out to your parents' place, who were nice enough to let us come out there. And we're kind of all hunting buddies now. Yeah, we are. Which is nice. Keep us going. So, I don't know if you want to, if you have any questions to get started, Miller, or if you want to just start telling your stories. I'd just like to point in right now, just like to get a invitation like that. Yeah. To, to, hey, just want to come out and hunt my land? Like, you two need to be so appreciative of that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah. That's not something that's easy to get. <laughs> it's all my parents. Um, they're they're super awesome, and they just like to have people up. And um, a little bit about them. They retired and moved up there, and they started with just 40 acres of land and then bought more, and now they have 120. So they have a decent amount of land to hunt, and um, none of us trophy hunt, so we're just there to fill our freezers. So um, inviting people up, there's plenty of deer to go around. Mm-hmm. That's cool. And you started, Caitlin, like as a full-on adult, right? Did you grow I up did. hunting? I did. I did okay. not grow up hunting. Um, Bambi was my favorite movie when I was a kid. Um, I think my dad hated that, but <laughs> um, I was used to hunting, though. Like I, I definitely saw a lot of deer hanging in the garage when I was younger. Um, 
I mean, I hear you guys talk about fishing sometimes too. So yes. yeah, <laughs> I was a really big fisher when I was okay. younger and then, um, did not get into hunting until my mid twenties. And that came after a bout of being vegetarian actually. Um, Very because I don't, I didn't like, um, I don't like how we kind of mass produce food in our culture. And so finding good ethically sourced meat was really hard. And so that's why I didn't really eat meat for the most part. Um, I should say mostly vegetarian. Bacon was never off the table. <laughs> um, and I was really venison as my parents fed it to me, you know. Um, but yeah, and then my sister actually started hunting, I think when she was in her mid-20s as well. Nice. And that's when I kind of was like, oh, I could do that. Yeah. She can do it, I can do it. For sure. And... So, yeah, so um, what's funny for me is I grew up in um, a more urban setting in Southern California, um, and so guns and hunting were completely foreign. In yeah. fact, only mm -hmm. bad guys had guns, by the way. <laughs> right. And the only it's exposure... It is a very California thing. And the only exposure I had to guns was for the uh, nightly report of the freeway shooting. I am not lying. So That's... my my view of all this was very skewed towards a kind of typical what you would consider very liberal yeah. coastal view of guns are bad altogether. Right. They should go away altogether. Right. And hunting is weird because only guys named Bill in Montana do it. <laughs> and they all wear those car caps that tie in the Yeah, right? I mean it's yeah. you know these are this is this is not normal. That you don't yeah. need to hunt. Hunting is to you know at that to me at that time mm -hmm. was like a luxury because we right. had grocery stores. Yeah. Why would you go out and hunt? You didn't need to. So that's actually where I started. And I was there as an adult. So a couple of things happened on the journey. First, I moved to um, suburban Washington, so right across the river from Portland, where you had this weird convergence of um, conservatism and liberalism, but everybody, your conservatives were fiscally conservative, but really had very liberal social views, and your liberals were really mm -hmm. liberal, but they had very conservative views about things like gun rights. Really? And hunting. Really? Because it was part of their culture up right. there. So it was, I thought it was interesting, and I used to um, campaign. Like, I would right. work in campaigns. So I would okay. go out and talk to people politically during the midterm elections and such, and right. have these conversations, and I thought it was really interesting. Yeah. Then I moved to Minnesota, where <laughs> hunting and fishing were a, and by the way, I grew up fishing, so I have some record. My, my grandparents lived in Wisconsin, and we went fishing, that's what we did. I wanted to ask, so, yeah. like, just real quick, so, yeah. but you, you consumed meat in, in your, in your oh, house yes. when you were youth? Absolutely. Okay, oh, yeah, so yeah. it wasn't, it was so it was, yep. but the grocery store was the source of meat. That's okay. right. And um, I was also somebody who was starting to get, in the same time, I was also starting to get more and more into cooking because I was a stay-at-home mom at this time and had way, way too much time <laughs> on my hands. <laughs> so, right. I was... I was in Washington where things grow all year round. And so I was gardening. I had 12 8 by 10 raised bed plots on my half acre of land. Okay? So, and I was what? actually, I was taking grain to a local mill and having them grind it for me. Whoa. Stone ground so that I would make bread. I knew I you gardened a lot, but I didn't know that was, you were that much into gardening. I, I pickled. Wow. I canned. 
So I was already getting into this really, you know, um, elementary, you know, piece of food. And I was very interested in that. Sourcing your own food. Absolutely. And then we moved to Minnesota and here the hunting opener was a holiday. It wasn't even that people bought yeah. <laughs> it's that it's a holiday. Right. It's celebrated. This is new. My family doesn't do Christmas. We do hunting. Right. Mm-hmm. Like this is what I'm saying. So again, even though um so this was also really new. And to be honest, there were all kinds of other things that were converging in my own life, um, personally, where um I was I had my 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 ex husband was an alcoholic for fifteen years and I was sort of working my psychology into a place where I was going to leave that marriage. So during that time, I think I started facing fears. I started powerlifting. I started doing some of these things. And the other thing I did is I decided I wanted to understand what it was like to shoot a gun. I had never held one. I was 40. So I went out to a gun range, got somebody to help me, and I started shooting. Long story short, I have a carry concealed license and several guns now of my own because I realized that it was mostly awesome. Like bad people actually are not, like gun owners are not bad people. This is super fun. Right. Mm -hmm. So all of these things were coming together. And at that moment in time, Caitlin looked at me over, I think, our eighth beer and said, you know what we should do? (laughs) Right. Right. You should come up and hunt. At that point, I had only ever shot a pistol, and I'd never shot a rifle. You should come up and deer hunt. And I said, hell yes. Right. Hell yes. Was that difficult to find uh, the assistance with, you know, getting some some gun training and having someone help you with that? Or was that pretty easy to find? No, I thought it was super. You know, I actually took classes, and I'd gotten some help as far as pistols were concerned. I was going to Bill's, which is our local gun shop here. Uh-huh. almost once a week and okay. I would walk wow. in yeah. and this guy Tyler I think I was the closest thing the man ever had to a date <laughs> um, I would walk in and he would be like you know what you should try and he would pull stuff down <laughs> and show me how to load it and let me shoot it this okay. is exactly some advice we gave on one of our first like third or fourth podcasts I forget which one but like because we're geared towards getting people involved right so sure. Walk into the gun shop, and they'll help you. Like they're enthusiastic. If you walk into the right gun shop, they will find what you need. Oh, I'm telling that you. You didn't know you didn't you needed it, but they'll find what you need. Ladies, I'm telling you, there's nothing better. Uh, the gun shop owners and help love nothing better than a woman who walks in and says, "That looks cool. Can I try that?" They love it. Mm-hmm. They love it. I was admittedly a little intimidated to go to Bill's, but I went with Michelle to, the first time she shot a rifle, I um, went to one of mine, so we went to Bill's, and so nice. So nice. So helpful. Yep. Mm-hmm. Basically, we felt like we were the coolest people there. Yeah, we got all the attention. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was fantastic. But mm-hmm. the first time I shot a rifle was, uh, was Caitlin brought it up for me. We met at Bill's that day, and she said, here, do this, and I said, okay. Yeah. Good to go, and it's 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 awesome. I always leave the gun range feeling mm-hmm. more awesome than when I walked in, mm-hmm. and that's really politically incorrect. It is absolutely true. Yeah, it depends on who you talk to, definitely. So, and I think it's interesting because at that same time that you guys had that conversation, Caitlin and I were at, having lunch together every day, talking about how I used to hunt, want to hunt more. Um, 
I have said before too that I get more mileage than I probably should out of being from North Dakota when it comes to stuff <laughs> like this. And I kind of let people believe that stuff and don't really correct a lot of the time. But uh, it all kind of came together for the three of us, at least. And so this is our third year going up to your parents' place. Yeah, Michelle's second, my son Yep. And, you know, Adam, you said something that I think that was kind of interesting when you said that, you know, having the opportunity to hunt somebody else's land is, is a rare and incredible opportunity. When I think about women and wanting to hunt... I think that for me, when I look out there, to the number one barrier it feels like mm-hmm. is straight up opportunity. Finding a place and finding somebody who will take, who can show you who you can go with and feel comfortable mm-hmm. being with. Mm-hmm. Because so often what I hear is that the husbands are going and it's their man time. And that's cool, by the way. Right. That's totally respectful. I yeah. get it. But I think that what happens, though, is that there, if she, if she does want to, mm-hmm. is she... Is she getting that opportunity? Yeah. Right. I think, you know, it, it comes down to what you guys have talked about in some of your previous podcasts as well of just, you know, being completely unfamiliar. So, for example, I, I hunt in Minnesota. We're in a tree stand. Frankly, where we hunt at my parents, it's like the easiest, most piece of cake hunting there is. It's like, pretty awesome, You're actually. like 100 yeah. yards from the house and like homemade mom food. Like, it's, it's the easiest <laughs> hunting there is. Um, but I, I would really like to take a trip out west, and I've been, you know, not only trying to find people who would be willing to take me, but also finding people that I'd be comfortable going with. So it's kind of, yeah. it can be difficult. For, for those that are not able to watch, she just nudged Michelle pretty hard there. Oh, sorry, I'm actually pushing my dog off of Michelle. Oh, okay. <laughs> We've also got a podcast dog for we the do. We, we do, we do, we do. Her name's Lana. Uh, she actually hates hunting. She is terrified of loud noises. Mm-hmm. I, I thought that was like a not-so-subtle hint. Like, let's go to Tampa. <laughs> well, I've said that about tree sand hunting before, too, is it's a different kind of skill, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you sit there and try not to move too much and breathe too hard and try not to, like, and try to stay aware the whole time. That in yeah. itself is a battle, but you're not packing out a quarter at a time of, mm-hmm. you know, whatever. I think there's a lot of planning that goes into it yes. that even I'm only just starting to be aware of. You know, again, because my, my dad my dad was so excited that my sister and I decided to hunt that he just wants to do everything for us. Um, <laughs> so, like, I actually haven't even gutted a deer completely on my own. Um, I've been hunting for five years, so, like, and I haven't done that on my own. I will say, though, I, I butcher all the deers, but um, haven't gutted them. But so, David, you gutted them? What? Do you think that you could get one on your own now? Oh, 100%. Yeah, it just is a matter of my dad letting me get in there. But he, he oh. has a lot of the, the planning and everything um, and deciding where the deer stands are set up and all of that. And I think I kind of, I don't quite understand that part of hunting yet, but it's, it's yeah. interesting and I'm starting to get into it. He's even like felled some sight lines through some of the timber out there and left them kind of attached so the undergrowth grows and all that stuff like he gets really into it (laughs) and he's very excited you can tell he's very excited to have even people Mm -hmm. and all the friends come out and all that stuff and he wants to teach and that's kind of where as i understand miller that's kind of where you're at is getting excited to have new people and teaching and that sort of stuff um but what changed your mind caitlin 
Yeah, I, I don't really know that I have a complete answer for that. I think, again, I, I kind of mentioned I was sort of vegetarian for a while just because I didn't like where meat was coming from. And I think it, all it really took was like pausing and thinking back to my childhood and all of growing up where I didn't, I didn't ever really know if I was eating venison or beef, you know, it was pretty interchangeable in my house. And, um, gardening, actually, like you said, gardening, gardening kind of fed into it as well, because there's something really satisfying about eating something that you grew or you killed or you processed in some way um, that is really, really satisfying. So I think that's where I kind of wanted to get into it. Yeah. I honestly did not know if I could pull the trigger and actually kill something. When I, like even to the moment that I did it, I didn't know if I could do it. I think my right. dad and my husband had a bet on me if I would do it or not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I did, and I loved it. So, <laughs> well, there's a weird dichotomy there, right? Like, it's maybe one of the most compassionate ways to get animal-based protein is to shoot it yourself and yeah. butcher it and stuff and eat it, right? But like the actual act of doing that, if you're taken to be a compassionate and sensitive person to those sort of things is probably one of the harder parts to deal with out of it is you know at the end of the day you're killing something and eating it yeah right which is kind of hard to get past i think and i think is a bigger barrier to entry for people is once you have a plan right and i think i'm sitting on two with two opposite sides of the spectrum <laughs> on this one. because i'm laughing Actually, at it. i never thought twice about killing bam yeah i had absolutely <laughs> yeah. no problem with it it didn't yeah. it never it i in fact i was asked mm -hmm. by um my trainer because he's right. a hunter before i went on the hunt he's like how are you going to deal with killing the deer and i looked at him a little like he was mm -hmm. on from mars i was like <laughs> but that's why i'm going mm -hmm. that's why you're handing me <laughs> right. a firearm like I, and you know, I am one of these people, I, um, I love my pets. My dog is 14 years old, obviously mm -hmm. well cared for. Mm -hmm. Um, but animals are animals. Right. People are people. Right. Um, and the food source is the food source. Right. And so for me, I actually did not have that. I, mm -hmm. I was grateful Mm -hmm. to receive the meat. Right. I was great, and I think that they're beautiful, and the whole scene was beautiful and peaceful. Mm -hmm. There was something deeply satisfying about the whole experience to me, Right. none of which actually had anything to do with feeling bad about the fact that I had killed the deer. Yeah. And maybe that makes me a terrible person. No, not at all. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't feel bad at all. Yeah, I, I thought I would feel bad. I, 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 might, I think I told you this. I might not have told you, Tony. Yeah. I actually missed my first shot. Did you? Okay. Um, yeah, three three deer just kind of like showed up out of nowhere, and I panicked, and I didn't know what to do, and I missed my first shot, and that's when I knew I could kill a deer. I think I surprised myself with shooting, mm -hmm. and I was like, you fucking idiot. <laughs> if you're going to shoot, <laughs> aim. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> so yeah so I calmed myself down I think I was just so nervous and again not knowing if I could do it and so then being able to calm myself down that's when I realized I actually could yeah. shoot it and I did and, and, yeah. and from what I know about some some uh, young hunters is that a, that missing that first shot cleanly can be actually be a really good thing it'll really help you with that second shot so that's probably what happened there yeah, <laughs> it so did and I mean, frankly, like, I, I kind of pride myself on having good, clean shots for every deer I've killed. I'm terrified of wounding an animal, 
And so I think missing that shot Mm -hmm. made me realize, like, if I'm going to do this, I need to do it extremely well. Yeah. Well, and I shot my first deer at your parents' house. Mm -hmm. I've said that on here before, too. And, like, I did the same thing. Like, deer comes walking down the path that we ride the four-wheeler on. (laughs) There have been three shots that night within 20 minutes. I was like, I heard the first one, and I was like, "Where where the, there goes my night. And then I heard two more. And then a deer came walking down the path, and I buck fevered the shit out of that thing. I had made so much noise, and he didn't—he didn't even notice me. Honestly, I'm convinced that the deer on Caitlin's property are just stupid. Oh, they—I think that they're oh, deaf yeah. and stupid. I think that there's a whole like breed of deer that you have there. Yes. Because when I, uh, for my first, Caitlin yes. and I were not being quiet. We actually got down from the stand to go pee. We did. We were on up in the stand switching our, we were trading chairs, metal chairs in the stand. And Michelle just goes, deer, it's too near. Like, deer. I literally went, deer. And Caitlin dropped to her knees. And I went, oh. I get to shoot one now, but I was standing, and so for the maybe eighth <laughs> time I had ever shot a rifle, I did it without putting it on a rest. I was literally standing there, pulled it up, mm-hmm. took a deep breath, took the shot, and actually, it was a really clean shot. Um, it was a lone shot, but she was flailing even still, and so I felt the need to, I shoved second shot right through the back of the head just because, like you, I didn't. I didn't want to wound her. I mm-hmm. wanted her down. Mm-hmm. So there was the compassion piece. Right. Not Absolutely. that I'm completely cold hearted. And I mean, like, I feel bad about it more than you two have said. <laughs> Actually, like, I personally, when I shot mine, like, I shot, uh, well, I buck fevered it real bad, sitting in a plastic lawn chair in a particle board permanent. <laughs> Stand just like making so much noise, like getting down on my knees, like to rest on the rail. Didn't look up at all. Walked perfectly into the clearing, gave me a perfect broadside shot. I took it. It ran around behind me, and uh, I mean, it felt like forever. I'm sure. I'm sure it was a two count, maybe. But then I it stopped, and I had another perfect broadside shot, so I took that one too. And then it dropped immediately. Thank you. And I uh, was, it was very complex. I was super excited, but also, and I've killed stuff before, but also it's just very complex. You know, you're grateful and excited, but it's a heavy situation. You, I mean, watching some anything die is never easy, right? And it's a large animal. And it's a large animal. Yeah. And you can see its eyes. And you can yeah. see it. And you can see. I could see that it was panicked after the first time I shot it. And I'm sure there was maybe. Th- I, I didn't waste time racking a second shot. And I took one right away after. And so it was maybe a three count, but it felt like forever. Yeah. And I was so full of adrenaline and all that stuff that. I mean, it, it, was, it was very complex for me personally. So, you know, I think this year, mm-hmm. if we could space out our deer a little bit more, that might be a little easier. Yeah, like five deer in an hour <laughs> I think last we had year. Five, or something I think it was like a that. half an hour. I think yeah. it, was like, it was. It was under forty-five minutes. Yeah, it was insane. Yep. I can tell you one thing is that you know, oftentimes a big 
point that hunters have versus like an anti-hunter is that they have a hard time divorcing themselves from the idea of an individual of an animal, whereas a hunting community, we're usually more concerned about the entirety of the population. You know, we want everything, you know, for you know, the herd to survive rather than the individual. But even when we shoot something, it becomes, like for me, it becomes very intimate and personal, um, you know, for that animal. And especially every time I have a meal with it, of it, you know, I remember that animal specifically. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really amazed, you know, that how fast you two were kind of over to get over that. <laughs> I guess um. one thing I didn't mention is before I did decide, I, I did actually do a lot of research on conservation. Because um, mm-hmm. conservation is something I'm actually really, really passionate about. And I think I've thought of it more in the terms of just conserving the wilderness in general. But when I decided to deer hunt, I looked at studies of, like, how hunting is beneficial to the environment in general. And also how it can even, like, help in other ways. I'm actually not going to get into that. It's too political. But what I was going to say. Right. (laughs) Well, it's, I mean, hunting itself is the number one, I believe, economic driver. Hunting and fishing licenses are the number one economic driver for conservation of public lands oh, yeah. through, uh, I forget the name of the act, but uh, all hunting and fishing related. Uh, Pittman-Robertson Act, that's right. There's a self-imposed tax that the hunting and fishing industry put on all their gear that goes straight towards public land. Um, all the, I mean, I looked at the, I forget the exact number, but I read the number for Minnesota for what the hunting season brings in that's all earmarked for public land and conservation and all that stuff so i mean part of what we are trying to turn around and what we're passionate about miller and i and one of our main motivations for starting this is numbers are in decline as they have been in the past and without hunting and fishing there's like the public land system and management of it as we know it does not exist that's right and it's no it's it's absolutely no um surprise that the one of the most famous hunters and most avid hunters in our history, Teddy Roosevelt, was also the one who established the National Park. Oh, system. absolutely! There's stories of him staying up till midnight the night before, redlining maps manically. This place and this place and this. That's place. right. Yeah. And it was for the beauty, the majesty, the um, and the the animals. Yeah, and visionary. The, protecting it mm-hmm. and allowing it to be open to people, as our culture started to change in the turn right. of the century. Um, and it's, it's funny because we're still fighting that fight today. He was a big fan with John Muir, and John Muir told him, when are you going to abandon this boyhood thing of killing things? And they both had a, but they both loved having a public land and national forest in, this, in these places for things to survive, so, or, you know, for them to thrive, the wildlife. So a hundred years later, we're still having this conversation, yeah. you know, of people that are non-consumptive versus consumptive use, and not enough of them will put together. We can share. <laughs> yeah. I so. feel like it would be really, really great if I feel like I have my my group of friends that are hunters, and right. then I have my other group of friends that are like other outdoor activities and enthusiasts. And there's no crossover. Like I'm the only crossover, and um, I wish that there was more conversation between the two. Well, I think, you know, when you, um, you, for the folks listening, these guys sent out questions ahead of time so that we were able to have some <laughs> thought process as we walked into this. And one of, you know, one of the pieces that your questions made me really think about 
was, you know, how, you know, how you got into this, what your thoughts were then. When I looked at my journey, um, one of the things that I can't help but get back to is the best piece of this beyond all the other pieces is that I actually ch completely changed my point of view as an adult mm -hmm. from somebody who was so gun control. I was like, take them all and call it to somebody who says, no, nope, hold on. Mm -hmm. It maybe gun gun rights act. I probably bend a little further on the gun rights side now mm -hmm. than I would have ever expected. Yeah. I'm not supporting the NRA because no. there's that, but I definitely see the value. And I think one of the things that is so critical in this is that people do not understand it because they don't know it. They've never done it. They've never talked to anybody. And we've never, people who live in downtown Los Angeles or in Brooklyn, New York, probably have never been to Montana. And people who are from Montana, by the way, have never been to Brooklyn, New York, and Harlem. So they don't understand, street. it's a two-way street, they don't understand the problems of the urban, um, of urban violence, mm -hmm. and, the, um, the, and the other people don't understand the importance of what hunting brings to those lands and what you need to do it gun wise and what that you know what a gun is and so on and so forth so mm -hmm. something our country right now and i think if we look at current events could really use as a little mutual understanding on those yeah. yeah absolutely Definitely. and i'm a, that's perfect i love everything about that <laughs> I've, I've mentioned before too is i've been on both sides of what in my head i call traditional outdoorsmanship the hunting fishing side of things and the, uh, I don't know, other forms. I don't have a term for that. Backpacking. <laughs> yeah, climbing. like I like Kayaking. climbing and things like that yeah. too. And uh, we've said that our friend, and I think I've said it wrong, our friend Yvonne Chenard from Patagonia has been reaching across the aisle with backcountry hunters and anglers and things like that lately to really sort of draw the divide a little closer for those people. Um, you know, out, Outdoor Magazine, uh, yep. recently sure. yep. had an article about like hikers need to stop hating on hunters, but, uh, that goes the other way too. Um, hunters need to understand that there are also other people that see other use for that land. Um, and everybody thinks that their use is the ultimate use of public things, but we can all, there's plenty of space for all of us out there. And if we don't figure it out, there will not be plenty of space right. for That's us right. all because there's yeah. already been conversation about selling public lands in order oh, yeah. for some of these states to mm -hmm. raise revenues. Mm -hmm. um, and to your point, the best lobby yeah. for this particular um, issue comes mm -hmm. from the revenues generated from hunting and fishing. For sure, for sure. I think it's very interesting. Uh, from when you and I, Michelle, first started talking about politics, yep. um, we could not have been more polar opposite on a lot of our views. Yep. And uh, as we've both uh, taken on new things in our lives, specifically when it comes to hunting together, and uh, as current events have developed at the same time, we found a lot more common ground than I think we started with. Well, and that's true. But I think the thing, the reason why you and I became friends to begin with is that we could sit on completely opposite right. spectrums and still have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, and you've changed my mind on something. And you've changed my mind on things. And, it, you know, and mm -hmm. I think that, that that's an incredible... Oh, my goodness, people. It actually exists. It can happen. 
Happy hour is hell. Right. Having a happy hour with three different political views makes for a very fun conversation, actually. Well, and (laughs) that's social lubricant. Yes. I said before, too, that the same kind of uh, open-mindedness of a person who's an adult that didn't grow up, like uh, Miller has said some of his earliest memories are hunting. An adult who has never, who didn't grow up that way, the open-mindedness to say that's something you wanted to do and uh, pursue it on your own, or at least uh, when the opportunity came up, take it for everyone sitting here. I think that same kind of open-mindedness is the same thing that allows a person to sit and have a conversation about things that maybe they don't agree with, but take in the opinions and if it makes sense, maybe change their mind about it. Yeah. And, or at least for the love of God, just get gain some understanding of right. the other people. Don't yes. take it so personal. Well, and it's intent too. Yeah. I mean, people for the most. I mean, people mm-hmm. for the most part, minus your most extreme, your craziest on all sides. Right. Everybody's intent is mostly good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They just want to live their life, and they yeah. want to see other people live their lives happily. Exactly. And so they're looking. You know, they have certain challenges again. You know, and they have different challenges in certain areas than other people in other areas. Right. And, and that's what we have trouble understanding. Everyone's life is different. Some people like to go. Some people, and I mean, the case is made that, like we said, hunting and fishing is some of the best ways to get that type of food. And some people think that's absolutely appalling. Yeah, but I think it's it's a it's a crazy crosshairs because for mm-hmm. me, the best part when we talk about hunting, yeah, shooting the deer was great. That was fun. I was super yeah. excited that I accomplished that. Right. Um, That's the very first step. That was the first step. Process. One of the best pieces of this is that unlike a lot of hunters who go hunting and then drop their deer off, you know, to be processed and then pick it up a week later, getting you know half of you know fourteen other people's deer, is that we actually haul these animals back to the garage. Hang them up. I skinned a deer. There is <laughs> video the of it. I they skinned. I skinned yeah. an animal. I skinned it. Um, her father patiently um, walked me through how how to butcher it, and then and then how to take it inside, how to trim it, and we did it all. Mm-hmm. And there was something deeply satisfying about being able to take that with my garden. Mm-hmm. and provide a meal and I know exactly where it came from and when you talk about sort of the liberal crunchy right. you know thing it's the exact same it's thing it's the exact same thing totally mm-hmm. yep. I do I do want to say my my dad um, so there are people with the mindset of yes kill this deer have somebody else deal with the gross parts of it and then mm-hmm. I'll eat it and my dad was really impressed with you Michelle but also with you and mm-hmm. Brandon another mm-hmm. one of our friends who is there um, because we all just dug in and we butchered these five deer in an afternoon. And, mm-hmm. um, and it was and cold. It was cold. Oh, Michelle Jesus. had never done it before. I don't think Tony, you hadn't done it before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brandon hadn't. I've seen it done, um, but I've yeah. never really dug in. And, um, that, I mean, that's honestly one of the most fun parts to me. Is cause, I mean, there's a lot of bonding that goes on. Right. <laughs> right. A lot of weird stories. We right. had covered um, in. <laughs> Everything. <laughs> I mean, it was gross. There's no doubt about it. But it's really satisfying. And I think if you're willing to take that, like, extra few hours and that extra step to actually, like, process the animal yourself, there's there's just something extra amazing about it. I don't know. I sound kind of, like, hippie. No, but no, I, absolutely. there is. <laughs> I think, though, that's, that's, the missing, that's the missing piece, though, that I think that, you know, when you do just take 
you go, you shoot it, yeah. you're looking for a big buck with right. six to eight points. Right. You drop it off, you pick it up. I guess that can feel and look a little insensitive, a little crude, a little like it does it's mm -hmm. just another modern and strapping it to the hood of the pickup on totally. the way to the processor. Right? Yeah. I will say the processor probably does a much better job of getting all the meat off. Well, but, yes. but I'm learning. I, I showed you I got a book. Mm -hmm. I'm learning how to butcher. I'm really excited about it this year. We're, we're gonna, gonna try to avoid more of the animal and mm -hmm. we're gonna try to avoid ribs this year. We need to make sure <laughs> yeah, that we keep the ribs shooting because I want to make some deer ribs. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, I do. I thought that that was one of the best parts. I appreciate that a lot, too, because I think uh, it is part of something that shows more reverence for the whole process. I agree. Yeah. Right? Agreed. Absolutely, like it does. It, like you say, when you sit down to a meal of a tenderloin or a backstrap that you went out there, you shot, you cut it yourself, maybe some morels that you found and some stuff that you grew in your garden, and you all made it, and you got it all yourself. Like, I think we forget, and I made this point where we all used to work together, like people walk into a department store and buy something off the shelf and walk away. They don't understand that there's armies of people behind that to make that available for you to scoff at and be irritated at the person that checked you out because the line was too long. Right. The amount of effort that goes into that is astronomical. And the same with even a meal. And I think you understand that a lot better when you do it yourself. Yeah. And there's so much more, I mean, I'm so much happier about feeding it to my family, mm -hmm. all that stuff. And I think that there's a there's a health piece, too, that comes into play. Because Absolutely. As we, you went vegetarian for a little while, right? And, um, you know, one of the things with my diet, and I get into this conversation a lot, because on the other side, I'm also a health nut, and I'm in a gym rat. So there's a lot of conversation about nutrition. Me too. Yeah. There's a lot of conversation about nutrition. And I talk to, again, a lot of my, especially like, you know, people who are really mm -hmm. environmentally sensitive and they're, they're yes. veganism and, you know, and again, I'm never going to argue with somebody's values, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If your religious um, beliefs or your values say that you cannot eat these things, I'm not going to argue with you. Mm -hmm. If you try to tell me that you're not going to eat these things because of health, Right. And you and I are going to have a conversation Absolutely. and we're going to be on opposite sides because I do believe in a diet that is wide and varied mm -hmm. and spans everything. Mm -hmm. I believe I need a lot of meat to weight lift. I'd probably eat 200 grams of protein a day. Um, Michelle's so, kind of a beast. That's she, a lot. She <laughs> lifts a lot. I think, I think I'm going to take you away to Montana. You can help me pack elk. <laughs> yeah, you and I need to talk about that because that sounds mostly awful. Um, I think that sounds a lot of effort. It is. <laughs> okay. Wow. As who has voluntarily gone and hiked like 50 miles in the wilderness in Montana and run out of water. And no, and there's plenty of lakes. Um, <laughs> that sounds amazing to me. Like I want to do mm -hmm. like that sort of adventure hunt. I want to like I want to combine my love for backpacking and my love for hunting. I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to. Yeah, but it and I think it's we, amazing. We can all talk. Heck yeah! Can we I can come all... on your like boundary waters hunt with you guys? That sounds amazing. It's you know what? It's the carrying back the five hundred pounds of elk meat that I'm looking hey. at going down. <laughs> <laughs> we can make a couple of trips. 
By the time you get it back, though, you're just like, God. Yeah, but the meal you eat after that is going to be the best meal you've ever had. Yeah, I have to tell you, because I do dig dig me some milk. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But from a nutrition standpoint, like I was just getting back to that point really quick, I mean, I think a varied diet is super important. And if you actually have some reverence for how meat can be delivered to you, and then if you can take that and say, instead of going to the grocery store, I'm going to go to a farm, Mm -hmm. and I'm going to buy... A quarter of a cow and some pig, and you know, I'm going to get it directly from the source. Yeah, I think it just opens your mind a little bit to what is bad. Yes, and what is you know okay, and yeah, which is better and healthier for everybody. And from there, it's just a natural progression. To, I mean, we talked about it before. The first time, if you have nothing, the first time you get a deer, it's what like seven or eight dollars a pound, something like that. By the time you get your second deer, it's less than a dollar a pound. And you want to talk about free range, organic, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, like not Minnesota deer. It's all probably GMO corn that they've been eating during the run. <laughs> but, no, there's not really any cornfields. Yeah, flax house, or whatever. So. But you know. Well, I mean, if you think about just our our own um, the the processed food within our own Western oh, diet. Oh yeah. The fact that our our omega three and omega six ratio historically should be one to one to three. Yeah. Right now, they average the average American is probably one to thirty. Yeah, and it's probably probably that is because the meat that we eat has been mm-hmm. so over processed in yep. their diets mm-hmm. that we're losing things in the chain. People freak out about gluten. Is it really gluten itself, or is it the processing of gluten yep. in our modern society that right. has turned it, you know, in our stomachs? You go to some heritage breed heirloom wheat. And it's going to be much different than... Who that's fermented by a sourdough, right, right, you know, right. wild yeast process. That digests some of the gluten. And guess what? You don't get fat when you eat it. Yeah. There you have it. <laughs> we just went way off the rails on this one. I did, but it's, the point stands, though. You are what your food... You're not what you eat. You're what your food eats. That's right. So, again, you want to talk about free-range organic. The protein ratio is, per gram is way higher. Way than, higher even beef in the store um, and there's all the satisfaction that goes with getting it yourself and I mean uh, by the good graces of Caitlin's parents we've got our own nice little hunting camp up there that's yeah. always amazing to hang you out with. You guys have a standing invitation for <laughs> the rest of my parents' lives. I was really really careful the first time we went out to do everything <laughs> I could to ensure the, the to create circumstances Dude, where that's I did the a possibility. Same thing. I was like, "What can I do? Yeah, yeah. Is there something I can clean next?" Right. Yes. Well, you guys did a great job because my yeah. parents love you. So. And I, I really appreciate the whole process of it all too. I said on our first episode, I think if you're going to put it down, do the work and take care of it yeah. yourself, and that is super fun. I mean, even when we had our grind meet, we sat there and you know. Probably drank a few too many beers while we were handling knives and, you know, <laughs> told, yeah. told lies and had, you know, there are things you laugh about hanging around that you never would have laughed about or had the opportunity to talk about before. And it's the whole experience of it all. Can I ask well, Oh, go ahead. Well, uh, if you have to bring up, as long as we're discussing the food aspect, I got, I got to know how are, you, how are you two preparing your deer meat now? I need to know your recipes. I need to know what's been your favorite cuts. What have you learned? I, I am ashamed at my limited ability in that right now. I actually, before this podcast, I was showing Michelle a new cookbook I got on how to prepare game meat. So just this say year, what it is. Uh, it's it's the uh, it's Stephen Ranella, 
hunting That's a complete guide to complete hunting, guide, mushroom, cooking, wild game. Um, I actually, I think he is great, and I, I, I appreciate that he addresses the butchering and the cooking aspect of it a ton. But I, my parents just grind most of the meat. You know, we save a few cuts. Um, the good stuff. The good stuff. Save the good stuff, and then we grind most of it. And honestly, like, what they do with the sausage is so damn good that I haven't, like, ventured much outside of that. And this year I'm going to also, I'm, I'm expecting to get a lot of deer this year. We have a two deer minimum per person. So I'm expecting to get a lot of deer. So I want to get a little bit more adventurous. We're in a managed also, area this year. Yes. And also learn learn how to use more of the animal. Like, that's that's my goal every year is to do a little bit more. Um, but my absolute favorite is potato sausage. It's, <laughs> it is um, about, about two-thirds venison, and then the rest is split between potato and pork fat. It's delicious. It's super good. So yeah, it's good. Nice. Do you have a, a breakfast meal for you, or do you, um, I do you incorporate that in other things? Or? I, my favorite thing to make with it is Swedish meatballs. So I usually do like a cream sauce or like a stroganoff maybe would work too. Okay. Yeah, it's good. That sounds and fantastic, honestly. It's <laughs> delicious. That and the Italian sausage that my parents make is also really good. So that's mainly what I eat. <laughs> I was talking to your dad. I was like, your, your Italian sausage is so good. And he's like, you just add fennel and then you add a bunch more fennel. And then you throw some more fennel in there. I wouldn't doubt. Just add more, more fennel. fennel. <laughs> I'm sure he but puts other so stuff good. in there, but it's very good. Yeah. Oh, they do such a good job at it that it, mm -hmm. it really honestly just kind of made me lazy and mm -hmm. trying to find other recipes. Uh, no, I think that's, that's fine. There's a lot of work that goes into sausage making, so lazy is not the word I would use. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. It's I an art. I guess not lazy, but uh, <laughs> honestly, right. my parents do so much of it. We we butcher the deer, and then um, I I rent, so I don't have like a big deep freezer. So they are kind enough to have like five of them, um, and mm -hmm. <laughs> store everything up there. So I will butcher it. I'll help um, make sausage when I'm up there. But for the most part, my I, both my parents are retired, and I think. My dad honestly really enjoys doing a lot of that. <laughs> so, I mean, you guys know. Yeah, oh, yeah. It almost felt like when I had already gutted my deer, it almost, he, was, he was like, oh, you're done with that already? Like, he kind of wanted to do it. You know? Yeah. He loved that. So, so yes, great. Yes. Uh, okay, so you said that you, there is some, some of the better cuts, though, that you guys don't grind. So, what do you do with those then? Oh, yeah. If there is a really good looking tenderloin, just fry that up with some butter and eat it right away. You're of all, like, 95% of all hunters out there. <laughs> exactly. It's because it's so good, right? It's so good. It's so good. Um, we've done we've done a couple roasts. Um, I want to try doing more roasts this year. Um, definitely done a lot of, um, <laughs> I think I already said stroganoff, but um, stroganoff with, like, strips of meat is uh -huh. also really good. Yeah. So, yeah. So did you kind of find that, I mean, you can basically replace anything that you do with, like, regular, like, beef or pork, you can kind of substitute in your venison? Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, actually. You gotta add more fat. There is one that yeah. my parents recently started doing, and now I'm completely hooked on, is add some bacon. Oh, okay. In the sausage. Your dad's add bacon. Some bacon <laughs> 
I mean, you make a hamburger with that, and it's like the best hamburger you've ever had. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. It's so good. I think the advice that I would give people with, with something like venison, though, is unlike meat, like a, a, a steak, a good steak, mm -hmm. salt, pepper, butter, hard sear, medium rare, you're done, mm -hmm. whatever. I actually think that venison tastes better with a little bit of sweet, with a little bit of oh, okay. a glaze. Like I really? use a blueberry or raspberry cool. chutney or glaze. Really? And I think that because it, it that gaminess that you mm -hmm. get, yeah. to me it's a really interesting pairing when you go that direction. That, from what I understand, sounds actually very European. Oh, interesting. Like from what I understand, where you can buy venison on like a market. In Europe, they look for the gamey flavor to pair with other stronger flavors like that. Well, the backstrops that we got, because yeah. I shot, I, she was a yearling. She was a very small doe. But um, what was great about her, of course, is that her meat was amazing. Awesome. But the backstrap essentially turned in for me into medallions. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I took it, I fried it up more of a medium, mm -hmm. um, medium sear. But then, yeah, I threw a um, raspberry chutney over it. Okay, a that warm sounds raspberry amazing. chutney. Oh my god! And it was—it was, it was really—it was a really nice pairing. But yeah. otherwise, I'm like you. You get right. the smokiness, the fat with it. Yeah. That's also enough. It's nice. the smoke. I think. In fact, it would be interesting to take a roast and just smoke it. Well, so, so my what I want to do this year is so all fall. It hasn't even been that long of a fall yet, but all fall I've been doing a lot of like slow cooking meats and like really right. rich sauces. And yes. that's what I want to do with venison because I think... Get that neck roast I, that. Yes, the mm -hmm. neck roast. Uh, so what did you do last year? The... Oh, I didn't. I made osobuco out of yeah, the shanks last year. That's another good application. So good. They're sending the recipe. Oh boy, it was good. And I'm telling you, a bolognese with mm -hmm. big meatballs. Yes. You can make the big meatballs and bake them, yes. and then add a bolognese because the bolognese sauce is yes. strong enough to stand yes. up to it. And the cooking is one of my favorite aspects. Actually, oh, yes, of it. Too. And uh, I've been talking to guys about what I did, and people think I'm like kind of blasphemy what I did with my backstraps, Miller, because right, ninety percent of the hunters. Cut it out of there, throw it over the open fire at deer camp, and eat it immediately. <laughs> Which, right. there's something to that. Right, yeah, super elemental. But yep. I took mine home, and for Christmas, I made uh, venison wellington nice. for my parents. And it, it was a life changer for me personally. It was so good. It was a lot of work. And I had no idea if it was going to turn out, but it turned out it was super, super good. And another thing I did with them, one of them is I wrapped an entire backstrap, well, I cut my back straps in half, so I had four. And I took one of them and wrapped it in bacon and yep. pan seared that, and then threw it on my cousin's smoker until it hit like I get it. 118, 120, let it rest, and sliced it up. And his kids were like, we were sitting over there, and we brought it in, and we were like, uh, hey, kids, come like try a little bit of this back strap. And it disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> it was gone so fast. Yep. And it was amazing. And I know people thought I was. You know, I told people I smoked a backstrap, and they were like, what are you doing? You know, butter, garlic, that's it. <laughs> you know, I think when you when you care about your food, so, like, yeah. it, it would be similar to, like, buying an expensive steak, right? Yeah, Like, yeah. You, you care about this piece of meat to an extent that sounds right. very strange, but right. you care about it, and so you want to put in the effort to make it a delicious meal, and I think that's so much fun. Especially when you saw it walking around on four well, legs, yeah, and then you went the through the whole process <laughs> with it, right? Like, that's well, yeah. the biggest bit. And I just know that what I'm eating is so damn good for me. Yes. Right. I know it's so good for me. Mm-hmm. 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 So, uh, Michelle, I think I need to visit you.
busy and we were making some of this with the champion. So I mean, so what did you do with some of your tougher cuts? Like, uh, did you do any grind or or did oh, you yeah. do I, like? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I got the grind too, and that's where I like I would make meatballs. To me, that's okay. one of the easiest yeah. things I to do. I made a lot of meatballs. I made a lot of like uh, hamburger patties wrapped in bacon yeah. under your dad's bacon yeah. grind with like caramelized onions. So, oh, pa- so nice. part of the deal of the getting a nice place to hunt with home-cooked mom meals is that you also get, um, what did you guys pay, a dollar a pound? Dollar yeah. a pound. A dollar a pound to my dad <laughs> to add so some pork fat and grind it and do all the work. I felt um, so bad. I was just like, I know, but I was like, you need to keep like a <laughs> bunch of this for yourself. Like, just keep whatever, you, did, keep mean, whatever you think is fair is what I said. Yeah. And, I mean... I don't think he kept anything actually because yeah. that's fine. He's probably got more deer in his freezer yeah, than he knows what to do with. Funny. I guess, I mean, I, I'm sad I haven't seen them yet. I was hoping to have some venison to make while we oh. talked about this. Yeah. Because uh, he, my parents bow hunt as well, and he got one like literally just 30 feet from their house. Of course. <laughs> He's sitting there. I can his coffee your steps like, out the back. Taking it on the patio in his rocking chair. <laughs> Hold on. I don't, you know, I don't know how I should feel about this as his daughter, but I've heard more than a few stories of him shooting a deer in his underwear. So. Yeah, <laughs> that's actually kind of awesome. It's very awesome. Having a whole moment with that. Mm-hmm. Tony, in the middle of nowhere, it's, it's easy. First new Venivore's uh, apparel, blaze orange underwear. Yes, for, yes. Uh, yes. 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 That would be amazing. I, I He's saw got about 400 square inches of blaze orange. So. <laughs> and a hat. I don't think we're going to be first to market with that one. <laughs> I'm going on Amazon tonight. And I'm going to find it. Yes. That's amazing. He's probably, what, a medium? Your dad's not yeah. a big guy. No, Let's call him a medium. Yeah, I'm, medium. I'm, if, I can, if it's on Amazon, I'm showing up. I love it. I love it. What's happening? Oh, hey, I am excited that, to hunt now. That is another thing that we should spend just a half a second talking about. The difficulty. The impossible difficulty. She knows right oh, where I'm going. Oh, I, I know, know where you're going. Exactly exactly finding going. fucking hunting gear that's in women's pink. sizes. That's not pink. I just found another Can thing. I tell you? You can wear Dude, pink in Wisconsin. No. Can I tell Sorry. you? I the don't worst. care if you can wear no, pink? no. I don't want to wear pink. Can I tell you of my struggles right now? Yeah, please. This is more than I should share. So, um, all of it. All of it. <laughs> so my my sister's best friend comes up third weekend of deer hunting, gun hunting in Minnesota, and she works for the DNR. So we are actually doing a photo shoot. So shameless plug, there's a program in the DNR called Becoming an Outdoor Woman, which sounds awesome. Michelle and I have talked about doing it. We probably will in the future. Anyway, we're doing a photo shoot for it. And I get this text from my mom saying, oh, we all got matching camo pink sweatshirts. No. The answer is just no. No. I mean, I'm obligated to wear it, but... In general, I get very frustrated that everything is pink for women. I don't want to wear pink. I've never liked pink. I just want some fucking camel and blaze orange. Blaze orange. And I don't want to have to buy boy sizes. That's what happens. Because I'm an extra small. And it doesn't, doesn't work for men's. I'm an extra small women's. I don't so have that problem. I am literally <laughs> buying, like, youth. I'm when they're buying boys. And it's just a and little... And the sleeves are too short. Yes. It's yes, not like exactly. it fits right. Exactly. God. Um, no, the struggle is I, I want... 
So obviously I'm, I'm not a woman, so I have to, so I'm taking your objections to the pink is the blatant sexism or yes. is it? Yes. This yeah. is not okay. my favorite is the camel pink gun. Oh God, that's horrible. Here's my thing about this. No, even the, small, like the, the conceal and carry pink gun. This is a serious thing. A gun that's is a, a very, very serious, serious thing. thing. It makes it look like a toy. And A, A, it makes it look like a toy. Bad. B, if I pull that out, whoever sees it understand that it's a very serious thing. And that's that's exactly what she said. It's almost like you you pull out a pink gun, somebody expects you to go pew, pew, pew (laughs) with it. This is a very serious thing. It It should be taken seriously. And there's nothing about a gun that is different if a woman shoots it or a man shoots it. And if becoming an outdoor woman is a thing that people want to take seriously, then I would think that across the board it should apply. I Thank agree. you guys for giving um, me conversations to have with course. my mother and my sister before this photo shoot takes place. I'm not a woman, so I'm being I, careful about what I say about I, this, I will but. say, I, I'm okay that pink camo exists. I, I, if people like it, they like it, and go for it. I'm okay with it. Like, pink, blaze pink, whatever. I don't know what to call it, even. But... The fact that it's the only option it's is rough. what's frustrating. It's rough. And you know what? That could be no, not necessarily the problem of the manufacturers because that might actually be that such a small yeah. segment mm-hmm. of the hunting community yeah. is women that we're probably lucky. This sounds terrible. We're probably lucky to get anything. That's true. We are, I wouldn't actually. be surprised if it was. It's, it's probably an economic decision on their part. Yeah, yeah. And, and I do understand that. It's just frustrating. Although, although to be fair, five years ago, I can't say it more recent than that because I haven't read anything more recent than that, but five years ago, um, women in hunting, women who were deciding to deer hunt, was on the rise. Right. And, like, really significantly on the rise, and the rest of people in hunting was declining. So, you know, as there become more women hunters and everybody else declines, mm-hmm. like, maybe we can get some fucking camo. <laughs> and boys are I heard that same statistic, actually, that women are the number one segment, number one growth segment in hunting. Yeah. But it's also the number one rate of attrition. Absolutely. Oh. They do it once, and they right. consider it done. They hit their bucket list, and they walk right. away. Right. Mm. Right. Yeah, we need to figure out how to keep women in hunting. Right, and clearly you both have made that decision. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, the the moment I pulled the trigger, that was my decision. Well, I, <laughs> I was. Uh, and I mean, it's only been deer hunting, but Caitlin and I, we just haven't done it because the schedules haven't yeah. lined up. There's been a lot of life things for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, we're looking. The DNR has these wonderful mentor yes. hunts of her pheasant mm-hmm. and turkey, yes. mm-hmm. and she and I want to. We're going to line it up. I think in the spring for turkey. I hope so. Anyway. I've got a great, beautiful 12-gate shotgun I'm dying mm. to take out. Like, I would love to get one of those mentored hunts. Yeah. We talk about that a lot. I mean, we both, we all have jobs, and it's tough to balance. I mean, if I could spend uh, uh, as many days of field as I wanted, that would be ideal, but I just can't. Right. So that's a real-life struggle that a lot of people deal with, and it's a pretty strong barrier to entry. Yeah. Um, but... We go on and on about those programs too, so that's awesome yeah. that you completely should and take advantage of all that stuff. And I want to say too, for the um, I, I mentioned a little bit earlier about like just wanting to go out west and try a different type of hunting, you know, and learning how to like stalk an animal and spot and stalk versus exactly versus sit in a tree and wait. Um, 
Well, you make it sound so easy. I know. <laughs> well, at my parents' house, it kind of is. It kind of is, because the deer are dumb. Yeah, they, they are very really dumb. It's really kind of amazing. I just really but brought it up. I, I really want to, I really want to try different types of hunting, and so, um... I, I can't say for sure that the women and becoming a outdoor woman thing that the DNR does has this, but I believe they occasionally have trips that you can do to different places to try different types of hunting. And so I think if you're a woman and you think there's a barrier to hunting, like just take that out of your mind and just contact the DNR because like maybe it's expensive, maybe it's way more than you can afford. They have scholarships, so you can talk to them about that. Like, they have different funding options. And so I think women might actually have it a little bit easier when it comes to barriers and hunting. Just I think you have that too. option. Yeah, I think for a lot of, yeah, if you're a man and you want to get into it, it's like, where do you start? Yeah, I don't know. I actually don't know. Where, to your point, the DNR, when I started thinking about this even before you invited me, yeah. I was looking at some of those mentored um, pheasant hunts. Mm -hmm. They will show you how to do everything. That's a gift because that's the biggest thing. It's like you don't want to take a gun out and end up shooting the guy over there. Like yeah. there are rules and there are scary things, and you need to understand what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right? You have your range. You don't swing out of your range. All that stuff that you yeah. need someone to tell you. You need somebody to tell you. I mean, I'm a little freaked out because I know this year I'm going to go to a deer stand by myself. Last year yes. I was I was sponsored, <laughs> and I was chaperoned. Yes. Um, but this year I know I'm going to get a deer stamp by myself, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to have to remember where the damn, damn house is, yep. so I don't wander into somebody else's deer territory. Which like, is a super real thing. That's a real thing. It's going to be 15 degrees when we're out there. It's going to be 20 30, degrees. 33 degrees, according to my thing. You can die at 40 degrees if you're not careful. I know. So, uh, I mean, you can, you can get yourself in trouble at 40 degrees if you you're can. not careful. You're right. And that's another thing that uh, I have found very enriching is the... I think, I've said it before, I think hunting is so much more connected to the outdoor experience because you have to, I mean, I love walking down trails, but you have to understand so much more about the interaction of things around you. Even if it's just sitting in a deer stand. Even if it's just sitting in a deer stand. That's correct. That's correct. Yes. 100% true. Mm-hmm. Cubicles and little flaming piles And we were running